So, The Walking Dead. If you're not familiar with The Walking Dead, let me tell you what this show is, okay? It's the zombie apocalypse. There it is, in a nutshell, okay? Basically, that we have one main character who, on, he's, a, he's a sheriff, and he gets in an accident, on-the-job accident, and uh, he goes into a coma. When he comes up and wakes up from the coma... Everything around him has changed, and the zombie apocalypse has started. And if you know anything about the zombie apocalypse, you know that it's always unknown. The origins are not determined. Nobody can really pinpoint what it is, but we know that everybody is infected, and when you die, you become a zombie, which, according to the show, is this character that likes to munch and go nom-nom on other humans, okay? That's basically what a zombie is in in this particular show. And that's what it's become in pop culture. Now, that's not exactly how zombies originated, uh, but, but this, is, this is what the show is, right? And so the show is all about survival of these zombies and getting away from what they call the walkers, okay? Oh, I'll get that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it, dude. It's all good. <clears throat> um, I'll get, I'll get, thank you. Zombie apocalypse. Somebody whispered it for me. Thank you. I appreciate that. So when we're talking about this kind of stuff, it's really neat to start looking at pop culture, and then we go, all right, where is this in the Bible? Where is this in my world? As a Christian, you're always going to go, okay, what, what is this? What are the parallels from it? What, what can I learn from it? And so we go to the Bible, first of all, and the first thing I want to look and see is, are there any zombies in the Bible? I am happy to report there are not any zombies <laughs> in the Bible at all that we can find, okay? Now, Revelations does talk about an apocalypse or Armageddon that will come someday and where the world will end and then we'll be given a new world and everything will change, but we are not taught about a zombie apocalypse, okay? So all of you that are preparing, I hate to spoil the ending for you, but it's not going to happen, okay? Oh, I, I do apologize. Now, the Bible does, however, speak on a couple of other things that are really neat and are kind of scary. There is actually a guy who kind of turns into an animal for like seven years. I would say loosely a werewolf, but whatever. That's King Nebuchadnezzar, and that happens to him. There's a necromancer who raises somebody from the dead and speaks to his spirit so King Saul can get some answers. That happens. That's in the Bible. There's also, let's see, what else did I write down that was in there? Well, there's... Um, Oh, there's possible dinosaur experiences. There are demons that allegedly had children with women that resulted in giants like Goliath. This whole thing happened. It's all in your Bible. It's crazy, isn't it? It's there. It's in the Old Testament. There's even a guy who was possessed with what we believe to be a thousand demons, and they caused him to run naked through the land, have super strength, and cut himself with rocks. Isn't that a cool power? (laughs) No. Anybody looking for that one on your superhero list? But these guys are all in the Bible, but there is no zombies. No zombies. Sorry. Now, we, and since we have no historical or legitimate evidence of zombies, where did the whole thing come from? Great, I'm going to give you a history lesson. Are you ready? Here's the boring data. Here it is. It started somewhere in Africa or Haiti, right? Basically, a bokor or a shaman or sorcerer, whatever you want to call them, they would give you some drugs, some kind of drugs, and they would attack you with some kind of drugs or give it to you secretly, and you would slip into this uh, state of unawareness. Everything that, uh, people that went through it said that you go into black, you feel nothing, and then all of a sudden you come back alive. Now, here's what's interesting, okay? And I, I would love to sit here and preach this because I think this is a really cool element of it, but what happens next is sheer belief system. For somebody to remain a zombie, see, a zombie, the history of it was not that they were flesh-eating 
characters that kind of milled around like this going brains, brains, or even dancing like this. This is not zombies. Zombies were people that went through this undead experience, they came back to life, and then they served the sorcerer and did his bidding with no question. That was the point of creating a zombie. These were servants that were to do whatever he wanted, and that would mean unethical things, that would mean the dirty things he didn't want to do. They had to do them, right? So that's what a zombie technically is. And then pop culture has evolved it into what it is today. And these guys would go so far as to take their servants and make them hang out in cemeteries and weird places that nobody else went to. The reason they did that is because when they came out of their coma or their dead state, they believed, their belief was so strong that they had no power to resist that they didn't. And so keeping them separated from the public was important because if they got around somebody, you know, you you ever met somebody who's just doing something dumb and you go, hey, dude, what are you doing? Right. And and when you say that to them, they kind of snap out of it, maybe, or they realize the error in their way. Well, the shaman didn't want that. So he made them do all kinds of weird things. So that's really what zombies were. And, uh, and to be perfectly honest with you, nobody really has been able to recreate this. Science has not been able to recreate zombies. They just can't do it because the major element was belief. See, their belief was so strong in zombies that their own minds kept them captive. That's why I said I could hang out there and preach all day. That's kind of fun. And maybe we'll get there sometime. But <clears throat> So science can't even recreate what a zombie is. So, uh, and then other theories say that, that, and I think Africa, if I was to guess, because through my research, I would say that Africa has it right. In Africa, they believe uh, that a zombie, unlike Haiti, where a, a sorcerer has to create them, they believe that a small child is able to create a zombie. My personal experience lets me know that this is a truth. <laughs> personal experience. When you have a small child, you become a zombie. Going to work like this. I'm doing the dishes like this. If I stand still too long, I will fall asleep like this. I became a zombie when I had my children, so it's okay. <clears throat> and so despite the historical evidence of zombies, they continue to prevail. In fact, since 1932, I'm going to give you some fun numbers, okay, because I like numbers. 1932, and this is to prove I've researched. There have been 263 movies made about zombies. 263 different ones. How do you tell that story different, you know? I don't really know, but, but there is. And then one of the most popular songs of all time, Michael Jackson's Thriller, all about zombies. Everything is about zombies, and zombies have captivated our imagination, right? And so, I, I don't know. Despite the illegitimacy of the idea of zombies, the genre remains popular, Right? Surviving the alleged zombie apocalypse is a legit conversation today. You can go to the internet and find it. There are people that are preparing legitimately. There are weapons made specifically for destroying zombies. And this comes because there's a certain way to kill a zombie. And so every weapon is equipped with that. Everybody knows how to kill a zombie, right? It's a shot right to the head. (laughs) Thank you, Will. Appreciate it. But people are actually preparing for this, which just boggles my mind because it's completely false. There's no evidence that suggests this will ever, ever happen. Epidemics? Absolutely. Disease? Absolutely. But a zombie apocalypse? It's kind of crazy to me. 
In fact, for fun, later on today, I want you to check out mapthedead.com. You can listen to the podcast later and write it down, or you can do it now. Mapthedead.com. It shows you where, should the zombie apocalypse happen, it shows you where all the gas stations, grocery stores, and pharmacies are located on a map and how the easiest way to get to them is, okay? Should it actually happen? And then there is zombiesurvivalcourse.com, where you can go spend a weekend with zombie killers for $450. Good luck with that. So... That is there. Even my family and I, we went and did Zombie Splatter Park last night. where We rode on a hayride and shot zombies popping out of the woods with paintballs. That's awesome, let me tell you. To go play paintball and not get shot at all is amazing. Anyway. So today, let's jump into our word because I think I have found the closest thing possible to a zombie in the Bible. Even though they're not called zombies, we're going to call them the walking dead because that's the name of the thing and that's what they are technically. I think I found the closest to what the walking dead is. So if you need a Bible today, I'd like you to raise your hand. Just let us know. I have a Bible that I would like to gift you with and my hosts have them. Just slip your hand up. They will give them to you. You can keep them. Take them home. I want you to have a Bible. I think it's important that you do. But we are going to be in 2 Kings 7 today. So let's turn our Bibles there. And uh, let me give you a quick backstory on this. And I got to talk fast. I got a lot of information to give you. This is so much fun. A lot of information. So here's what's happening. Samaria has been surrounded by the Syrians. Okay. There's been a famine in Samaria. All right. And they are, um, they're, they're lacking food right now. And so they're having to leave Samaria and go out and get food and supplies for the city. Okay. And the Syrians realize that they're under siege with this famine. And they decide to surround them and choke them out. Okay, so the Syrians are camped all around them. And the situation inside the city is bad. Let me tell you how bad it is. There is the king is walking on the wall and he gets stopped by a lady. And she says, King, I need your help. He says, what can I do for you? She goes, well, I was talking with my neighbor and we we're kind of hungry. So we decided that, to, that yesterday we agreed that yesterday we would boil and eat my son and that Today, we would boil and eat her son. And so yesterday, that's exactly what we did. We boiled and ate my son. And then today, we've come to have dinner, and she's hidden her son from me. We, she, won't, she won't let us eat. No nom nom. So the king rips his clothes, and he doesn't even realize that the situation is so bad, and it's so sad that they're eating their own children. They have no resources. They're all afraid that they're going to die. And so the king is upset and that's where we're going to pick up the story because it's really really bad that's what i want you to get and there are a group of people that are outside the walls and that's where the lepers always were and that's where we're picking up here at three and four it says and there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate and they said to one another why sit here until we die if we say we shall enter into the city then the famine is in the city and we shall die there and if we sit here We die also. Now, therefore, come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So let me talk about what's happening here. These guys are lepers. Anybody know what a leper is? I'll tell you. They have leprosy. Leprosy is not a disease that you contract from a leprechaun. Okay? Leprosy is different. Leprosy is an upper respiratory infection that you get. And when you uh, get leprosy... It is presented by lesions on your body, skin lesions on your body, okay? Most people think that when you get leprosy, your body parts start falling off, and that is not actually accurate. However, you can get secondary diseases and infections from leprosy that may result in loss of limb or gangrene or imminent death. There are a lot of people that live with leprosy, 
until they're very, very old and then die. But leprosy usually affects the, uh, the eyes, the, uh, the, let me see, I've got, I've got all the words here, sorry. Skin, the nerves, the limbs, the eyes. And so your, your fingers will become shorter as the body begins to absorb all the cartilage and your bone and you become stubs. And basically you're deformed. That's why I said these guys are the closest to what I think of the walking dead or what we think of in today's culture as the walking dead. This is who they are. And they also realize, hey, listen, if we go into the city, we're going to die. If we sit right here, we're going to die. If we go into the camp of the Syrians, it's a good possibility that we're going to die. And so I don't know what you know about lepers, but lepers were not allowed in the city. They were contagious, extremely contagious. Nobody's really sure how leprosy is transmitted. And so they just said, when you became leprous, you were outside the city. That's why these guys are outside the walls. So they're saying, well, if we go inside, we're, we're going to die. Because they're more than likely going to be killed. Right? If we sit here, we're going to die from leprosy and or starvation. But if we go over there, well, maybe they'll have mercy on us. So I want to stop right there. Because I love what's happening. These guys realized that they are walking dead men. And walking dead men have... No fear. No fear at all. They're not afraid to go into the city. They're like, yeah, we're going to die. Or we stay here, we die. Or we go there, we die. Let's roll the dice. Let's see what happens. And fear, once they realize that they're dead, either way, is gone. Isn't that amazing? So they realize that. And I want to sit here for a minute because I want to say that because as Christians, we are the walking dead as well. If this is your first time hearing that, I don't mean to shock you by such a strange statement, but we are. Jesus has a startling and curious conversation with a Pharisee late one night, and it goes like this. We're in John chapter 3. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God, which is God's way of doing things and, and, and heaven, unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. A legitimate question. Jesus answers and says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is explaining the need for a rebirth. Using the word rebirth or born again indicates that there is a death that must happen. And like Paul said, when we become Christians, we are reborn as new creatures, kind of like the zombies, right? New creatures when they come back to life. But unlike our zombie friends, it's not a physical rebirth. It's a spiritual rebirth, one which we now live as dead men in Christ. Jesus was the original walking dead man, dead to rights and self, living a life in complete surrender to the will of the Father. Here's some quick verses to reference Christianity as death in Christ, just in case you've never heard this before, just in case you're questioning me. Aaron, that's not exactly what I think they meant. Great. I'm glad you asked. Here we go. I'm going to give them to you rapid fire. Romans 6, 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, 
Colossians 2.20, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Colossians 3.3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 2 Timothy 2.11, it's a trustworthy statement, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. Now, our zombie buds, they're the walking dead, and but we, unlike them, are by choice. Daily choosing to take up our cross, as Jesus describes in Luke 14. Take up our cross? What does that mean? Are we supposed to die? Yes, absolutely. And it's a daily taking up of our cross. A man carrying a cross was a dead man. If you were walking during this time down the road and you saw a man carrying a cross, it meant that he was accused, he was tried, and he was sentenced. There's no appeal process at this point. There's no way of getting out of it. He is dead man walking or the walking dead. And when you carry a cross daily, like we're supposed to as Christians, people kind of scratch their heads at us. They don't understand it. And you and I both know that what people don't understand, they mock, they make fun of, they question, they think it's silly. But that's what we have to do every day is take up our cross. In fact, if you carried a cross during Jesus' time, you were mocked, you were made fun of, the entire city showed up to spit on you, to hit you. Your family would have been there and would have been embarrassed. And you would have carried that cross as dead man walking to the place of your death, where you would be brutally, brutally tortured until you died. As dead men, we experience this all the time. When we live a life that is Christ-centric, not in just, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. I don't mean like that. I mean, when you live a life that is Christ-centered, and everything that you do, the way you love your spouse, the way you love your children, the way you work your job, the way you are as a boss on that job, or the way you serve your boss on that job, the way you serve your community, the way you serve in your church, no matter what it is, the way you live flows from Christ being centered. With every decision that we make, and the things that we do are quite contrary, they're always contrary to the world. And when they see it, they don't understand it. I want you to take a look at Luke 6 with me. This is a perfect example of what living like the walking dead in Christ looks like. Because maybe, maybe you're not sure what I'm talking about. Maybe you think you're a good person. Maybe you think, well, you know, I show up on time at work and I love my kids. I hug them and kiss them every night. I give them food. What more do you want? Well, the Bible tells you what more he wants, okay? <laughs> what it looks like to live dead. Get ready because you're going to hate this, okay? Because I do. Because it's contrary to everything that I, I want to do. But I pray that, that as you read through stuff like this, that your heart gets changed. Because that's what the gospel will do to you. Here goes. Luke six twenty seven. Jesus is talking to a group of people. And he says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. How many of you know, can think of right now, some enemies in your life? People that have wronged you. People that continue to wrong you. People that hate you. And when they saw you, they would probably punch you in the mouth. Those kind of enemies, legit enemies, right? You have enemies, but the Bible, Jesus is saying, love your enemies. It's not something you really want to do. Do good to those who hate you. Anybody has, has anybody ever done any good to anybody that ever hates them? It's tough. 
Jesus goes on, the list goes further. It says, bless those who curse you. Somebody blasts you on Facebook, calls you out on something, curses you, makes fun of you. What are you going to do? You're going to bless them? That's what Jesus said to do. Told you you weren't going to like these. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now that's hard to do. But we spent the past couple weeks talking about prayer, and we, we know that when we pray for people who mistreat us, that prayer is probably more for us. We pray God bless them. We pray God deliver them from their sin and maybe grab them around the neck and shake them a couple times. But I don't know. Maybe you don't pray like honest like I do, but sometimes I do. <laughs> but we know that that prayer is more for us to change us. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them as well. Give to everyone who asks you. Have you guys had that one friend who just keeps asking for money over and over and over again? Or they're constantly asking for your stuff. And you're like, dude, go to work. Get a job. But if, this is, if we were to look at this and take this literally for what it means. Give to everyone who asks you. They're not excluded from that everyone. I told you you weren't going to like this. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. That's one of the first things we learn as a kid, right? Mine! 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 And that never stops. It never stops. Somebody comes and takes something from your property or borrows something from you. Mine! Where is it? Mine! You want it back. (laughs) Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. So in other words, bad people do that to each other. Sinners, people that are are broken, that are not restored, that are not Christians. They live a life like that. They're kind to people that are kind to them. They'll forgive people that will forgive them. They'll, they'll, They'll be good in relationship that way. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Have you ever done this before? I'm going to tell you I've done it before. you ever just forgiven somebody the debt that they owed you? Have you ever done that before? A financial debt? Somebody borrowed money from you? And you said, hey, by the way, after weeks, and you know that they're struggling to give it back to you. And you just go, you know what? That debt's forgiven. You want to talk about impacting somebody. Never expecting it back. That's what your Bible tells you to do. But love your enemies do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. See, we came to God with our hands out, looking up to him for something free. The free gift of salvation. Give it to us first. And the gospel is living that same life in relationship to others. But in order to do that, we have to live dead. Because all of these things are contrary to the way that culture tells us to live our lives. Even going to school, if a bully punches you in your face, your dad says, you better get your fist up, boy. You better pull yourself up off the ground and punch that kid in the face. Where is that in the Bible? It's not there. It's not there. But think of what would happen if we began to live this way. If we all lived this way in community with each other and with sinners and the worlds around us. 
with Christ as our all, as our center, that we would die daily to our desires, our rights, our agendas, and our ways, surrendering our all to him in worship and submission to his lordship. What would it look like? What would it look like? And I imagine that the reason we don't is because we're afraid. I'm going to tell you a little story about me. I get, I get gripped with fear when it comes time to go witness to somebody or to share the gospel with somebody. Am I alone in that? I don't think so. But that's part of living dead, right? And it's okay to be afraid, but courage is being afraid and doing it anyway. And so I have a friend of mine who is telling me about how his buddy and he, when he goes to restaurants, the waitress brings the food out. And when she brings the food out, he looks at her and says, hey, we're getting ready to pray. Is there anything I can pray for you about today? And the waitress says yes or no, and there's a prayer that ensues. With or without the waitress, it doesn't matter. But that's a simple way to reach out to somebody. That's a simple thing. You want to talk about living dead, that's a way to do it and live in community with somebody. And I'm sitting at the table with my wife. We're in St. Augustine, Florida, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Why am I so afraid? Why do I care? Why does this woman's opinion of me and the people around me matter? If I'm living dead, dead men don't care about their reputations, do they? Dead men have no fear. Dead men aren't concerned what anybody says about them or can do to them. If you've ever watched a zombie show, the zombies do not care that you have a gun. They don't even care. They're after you. And as dead men, you can't care. And so I'm sitting there in in St. Augustine, and it's happened twice in my life. I'm not even going to tell you that I do it every single time. I don't always remember to do it. But when I do remember it, my palms get sweaty, my heart starts palpitating. I can feel it in my chest, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And I asked this young lady, can I pray with you? And she said, yes. She said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you because I want to think about that. And she came back and she told us. And to her surprise, and much probably to my wife's as well, who was sitting across the table going, oh, God, what's getting ready to happen? What's getting ready to happen? I grabbed her. I grabbed the waitress hand. I said, let's pray. And I just bowed my head. I didn't even wait on her to agree. Grabbed, my, grabbed her hand, bowed my head, and we prayed. This was a packed restaurant in St. Augustine. We were right in the middle of it. And I'm praying, going to town praying for this lady. And nothing magical happened. The heavens didn't open up. You know, it wasn't like this weird thing that happened. But think for a second about the impact that was had on the waitress. That there are people that are living dead. That are living as the walking dead. I'm not even going to tell you that I'm perfect at this. Do not hold me up. Put me on a pedestal. I'm not. But then imagine, if you will, the impact of everybody sitting in the restaurant that watched it happen. Three people grabbed hands and bowed head and prayed. Well, what if they say no? So? Who cares? I, I've had that happen. I had, it happened to me a week ago. Asked a waitress, hey, we're getting ready to pray. Can I pray for you about anything? No, thanks, sweetheart. Okay, thanks. You say, well, she might spit in your food. That's why you do it after you get your food, by the way. <laughs> Secret. But <laughs> the person living in fear is afraid of that. Are you really concerned? Nah, I'm not. But and then I want you to think about this. Think about how much it impacted me to pray with this woman and how my life was changed how my confidence was built in God to do something if we lived life as the walking dead we could do exactly what Jesus did 
And the moment that Jesus walked onto the scene, he turned the world upside down. Upside down. We have been talking about Jesus and more books have been written about Jesus. Thank God than about zombies. We have been talking about him and we will continue to talk about him. There are hundreds of thousands and millions of people that on Sunday morning are talking about Jesus because he lived a life as a dead man. That's our call to live dead, live dead in our relationships. And I don't mean be lifeless and be absent, to love without agenda, to love regardless. To love in spite of. It's what we're called to do. But if we would love like Jesus did, we could turn our world upside down. What's, what's the world you're talking about? I'm so glad you asked. Reynoldsburg. We are here with a purpose. We didn't start this church so that you all could come and sit in an air-conditioned room and we could have a fancy backdrop, which thank you to Kyle and Lindy. And all those of you who work, these are brand new this week, and I love them. I'm thankful for such a talented team. But that's not why we're here, to look at that and say, wow, that's pretty. Or, hey, that was pretty cool that you talked about zombies today. Woohoo! We're here to reach the lost, to see them saved, to see the brokenhearted restored. That's why we're here. If we would live as dead men and women, we would see that happen more often. I want to finish the story I started, and I'm going to summarize it for you. We don't have to put up the verse, but you can continue to read it. It's in 2 Kings. It's a great story. The lepers, they went on to go into those tents to the Syrian army. And they found that the Syrians had heard a noise in the middle of the night, thought it was a great army. They took off running, screaming, thought that, that Samaria had hired other kings, chariots and horses, to kill them. And they found those tents empty. And they plundered those tents. And they decided, hey, this is not good that we four just sit here and eat all this good food. We need to tell the king. And they did. <coughs> Living as dead men. They did the impossible. They did the unthinkable. And they saved the generation. There's a generation that is waiting on you to become the walking dead in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this day, for this group of people who have gathered, hungry to be in your presence, hungry to hear your word, hungry to be different as a result of your word. Lord, I pray today that you would challenge us, that this word would sink into our hearts, challenge us to dive into the Bible and find out what else does it say about living dead? How can we live dead and live out the gospel in our relationships, in our communities? That we would be challenged to do something simple this week. Something simple as loving somebody. But not loving the ones that are easy to love, loving the ones that are difficult to love. Live as you've called us to live as the walking dead. If you're here today 
Every head bowed and every eyes closed. I, I have no interest in embarrassing you in any way. An admission of guilt or admission that you don't know Christ is not a bad place to be because we can change that right now. If you don't know Christ and would like to, would you raise your hand and let me know that you're here? Because you can begin a life with him that is not only filled with love for you and forgiveness for you, but you can begin a life walking as a dead man where you love others as Christ loved you. You can put your hands down now. I thank you for that, for your honesty, for being here. Father, I thank you for those that are here today. Lord, there is nothing that I could have said on my own that would turn their hearts to you. But I thank you that your word and that your Holy Spirit is at work in this room and has drawn people to you, to the truth. Father, for those that put their hand up today, I pray, God, that you would give them your Holy Spirit and teach them how to live every day for you as dead men with Jesus at their center of everything that they do, of every decision that they make. Lord, when they get home and they they don't know what to do, they don't know how to pray, but when they talk to you, answer. When they open your word, speak to them. Show them how to live every day for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, we're going to give you just a moment to receive.